Germantown. Hey, Germantown. We're the Everyday Feminists. We're coming to you live on G-Town Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia. You could be listening to us on gtownradio.com or on any internet radio platform from anywhere in the world. Hello and happy, happy Monday. Hey. Hey. And my name is Lois Volta and with me is Stephanie Heck. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Lois. <laughs> <laughs> you almost forgot who I was I for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hold on. Yeah, what a beautiful day, huh? I oh, know. It's a little hot, but it's nice. We've been getting some good weather here mm-hmm. in Philly. Well, we have an interesting show for you today. I think Stephanie and I both are feeling this a little bit. I mean... I would say, and and tell me if you if I'm wrong here, Stephanie. But but because I don't want to speak for you. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> but, you. <laughs> but I think that with any with any woman in particular who's got a head on their shoulders and who isn't afraid to speak up for themselves, they have been seen as mean mm-hmm. when they're just speaking up for themselves or just being assertive. And we wanted to do a show on that. We wanted to do a show on Mean Girls. Yes, Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and, and by Mean Girls, we don't mean kind of like the catty girls in the cafeteria, in the high school cafeteria, who are being rude to each other. Mm-hmm. We're talking about girls or women who are labeled as mean if they say something that makes the men in their life uncomfortable. That's right. Sort of like the use of the label of, of mean... Mm-hmm. As almost like a silencing device. Yes. Because women hate being called mean. I don't think anyone likes being called mean. But particularly women have been conditioned to be kind, to be sweet, to be nice, and definitely not to be mean. Right. So if you're seen as mean, that feels really problematic. It's like a character judgment. Right. Like something is really wrong with you if mm-hmm. you're mean. Mm-hmm. And also... I guess I I was thinking about this because I have been hearing some stories lately that have kind of bothered me about this. And in the stories, it's often um, a woman speaking up to a man saying something that he doesn't want to hear or maybe even holding his feet to the fire so that he has to follow through on something he said he would do, but he doesn't want to. Mm -hmm. And essentially what happens is that he becomes uncomfortable Mm-hmm. And when he is uncomfortable, he feels like she's doing something to him. <laughs> like being me. Like, so <laughs> I'm sorry. because <laughs> Lois <laughs> went speechless right there. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. That there's something about if I'm going to ask you to um, whatever, let's just make something up. Mm-hmm. You said you do the dishes and you didn't do the dishes. And so now. I'm saying, hey, I'm really not doing them. You did say you were going to do them. Oh, do I have to do them? I don't care you do them tomorrow or whatever. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. I don't even mm-hmm. know what a response would be. But to say, no, actually, you need to do the thing that you said you would do. I mean, this is an example. It could mm-hmm. be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, gets met with the label mean. Like, why are you being so mean to me? Is anybody being mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that so- falls in nag territory, too. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I think that they're interrelated. I would say that a lot of times when I think um, when particularly men call women mean, it's usually to me, at least when I've been called mean, it's when I'm just speaking my truth. Mm-hmm. I'm like, OK, this is my truth. I don't want to hurt you. Yeah. But this is this is what's happening yeah. right now. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about this earlier today. And Stephanie was like, oh, there's a clip from this show that I wanted to share. So, Stephanie, you pulled up this clip. What is the show called? So the show is Better Things, um, which I guess was popular. I don't even know, like in the, I don't know, late 2010s. Um, And I didn't watch it back then. But actually, it was our friend, our former radio neighbor, Joanna, of the Sunday Dinner Mixtape, who listens to our show, told me about this show. She was like, I think that you would love this show. I'm not a big TV watcher. Mm Um, but because she recommended it, I checked it out and it's awesome. So better things. I think it's on Hulu now. Um, I don't know even what it used to be on. It used to be on FX, but so this is from season two, episode two. I just remembered this when we were talking about 
women being mean. Mm-hmm. So I, I made a recording of this little clip. Yeah, so we're, we're going to play you the clip. So we're going to play you the clip, and hopefully this works because we're doing it in a super mm-hmm. kind of low-tech way. But here you go. So this is like, this is what um, this woman, the main character in Better Things, has to say about women being mean. Oh, wow. I Look, I'm sorry, but it's just... I feel like you keep testing me, like you demand a certain level of thing from me. All I ask for is basic consideration. Like, just common courtesy would be nice. No, I don't think that's accurate at all. I feel like you demand a whole lot. Too much, frankly, considering what you bring to the table. Oh, really? Yeah, if you want to know the truth, you need a lot, and you give little. That is so insulting. Well, that may be true, but I think you kind of have it coming. <laughs> you are so mean. Oh, my God, fine. Okay, I'm mean. Jesus Christ, why does everybody have to be so careful all the time with a man's feelings? Ooh, don't hurt the man. His feelings are so important. You guys are supposed to be tough. You're such pussies. The second a woman is a tiny bit mean to a man, or even just a tiny bit honest, she's a bitch. I don't use that word. Come. Well, you should start. If you curse once in a while, it might make you a little bit sexy. Whoa. Oh, she was mad. (laughs) She was mad. I mean, there's a context to that in the show, Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, that she doesn't want to do what he wants her to do. I think he wants to give her a ride home and she really doesn't want to go with him. And Mm -hmm. so it leads to this whole scene where he's being, you know, he's acting all tough, but really being fragile. And it goes on from Mm -hmm. there. But I just really like that clip because it seems to really exemplify that whole phenomenon. Right. Or like, what is the common courtesy? Like, and what is expected out of common courtesy? That's the part too. It's like, and then if you're saying it's like, if she didn't give him a ride home or didn't, you know, like for instance, when we were talking about the Barbie movie, there's that part where Barbie's like, no, I don't want you to stay. Yeah. There's this expectation to appease. And if if you don't, then you don't have common courtesy. Right. And then to say to someone, you don't have common courtesy because you're not behaving in a way that I want you to, then you're mean. Right. If you're not doing what I want you to be doing, which is either being quiet or giving me a ride or, you know, in this case, probably coming to bed with me, whatever it was that she didn't want to do. And for her to kind of register that she doesn't want to do it, and to start to speak her mind and say what she really thinks, you know, like in this clip, you don't, you don't hear it in this clip, but she really talks about what she really thinks about this guy. Mm-hmm. She's sort of like, I've been pretending to like you all night because you need me to pretend to like you so that we don't reach this moment. And then when I start to be authentic with you, now I mean, mm-hmm. right. And so one of the, you know, I guess that leads us to the question of like, do, should women just stop pretending and then everything can be a little bit more authentic and maybe then men can trust what women say if women want to do something they say yes if they don't want to do something they say no and they're never Mm. mean they're just being truthful yeah i don't it's hard i mean yes i would i hope that everybody no matter what sex you are or how you identify feels as though that they can live a life where they can be true to themselves and say what they mean and know that they have the potential to hurt someone, so to be mindful. But in this situation, if somebody's really expecting something of you and you don't want to do it, there's no reason why you should be called mean. Right. It's it's sort of, I mean, sometimes I think it's, you know, a red flag test. And maybe I even said this in our last episode. I can't remember. But there's nothing inherently mean about the word no. That's right. The word no doesn't have a valence to it. It's just about what you do and don't want. There's yes and there's no, and you can say either. And saying no shouldn't get you called names. Yeah. Right? I mean, in this clip, you know, she's sort of like going on, she's pushing it a little bit and into pushing into like asking him to reflect on himself or giving him her impressions of him, which is maybe what he believes is mean. It's like mean to hold up the mirror. I think that sometimes when we were talking about this earlier, I couldn't help but feel like, 
There's so many times that I feel like men say mean things, but they don't really know that they're being mean or that they don't understand what it is to be a woman and feel like you don't have to be nice. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I was out and somebody had said to me something that I felt was a little mean, but they didn't think it was mean at all. Should I share what they said? Of course. Okay. They said, um, dating women with dogs is worse than dating a woman with a newborn. Hmm. I don't, I don't even understand that. It just felt mean. First of all, it was like not very nice to say to somebody. I mean, what woman with a newborn wants to be dating, first of all? Who knows? <laughs> Who yeah, knows? When I get, had a newborn, you know, get but, away from me. But whatever, power up, whatever, <laughs> whatever. But I guess what I'm saying is like it felt like a weird kind of mean thing to say, not only to new mothers, but also to people who like might have a dog. And my response was, well, you know, I'm sorry if my protection comes at your inconvenience. Right. And it was like, what? And I guess that could have been perceived as me being mean back. Well, no, but it doesn't seem like it seems it seems like a response that's sort of saying you can't talk to me that way. Yeah, don't talk. To, or like, that, why? Again, like, why not, would you say that? That's like and to make a blanket statement about women just in that way was just like, ew, that was just a mean thing to say. Well, mean and kind of rude and maybe even it, like it, it indicates something about the person saying it probably you know, in terms of like what they believe they are entitled to or the ways in which they judge the world, you know. But I guess what, yeah, but where I, where I kind of felt like where I was left was me saying something back. I wasn't defending myself. I wasn't saying, you know, just me speaking my truth came across as mean to this person. But he started it. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And then the other, <laughs> that's what I'm saying basically. So and then the other thing that was I was really thinking about was walking down the street. Okay? There's sometimes that I walk down the street and I feel conditioned in a way, I don't know if it's just culture or what it is, maybe it's a protective mechanism is to smile. Mm. When I'm walking past people, because if I smile and I'm pleasant, then I'm not threatening or maybe I'm just, I don't know, being kind or something. But there's so many times where I've caught myself giving a smile or just being friendly and a dude will be, it's like that when we talked about the patriarchal chicken, that game patriarchy chicken where you don't get out of the way, but like Like a a man man will be walking Uh by and like, he won't smile at all. And he'll just like, look like, you know, and I'm like, how like that would be great if I didn't smile. So then I would like not smile or, and then I feel like people kind of looked at me like I was being mean or rude because I wasn't smiling. And this is just strangers out in public. And it's like, okay, I'm, what do I do? What do I not do? Can I just be? It feels like the expectation to be kind and to be nice. Like, and don't be, don't be mean. Don't look like you have resting be faced or, or whatever. And it's like, ah, can I just walk down the street without feeling like I have to be afraid of being perceived as it's like, if I don't smile, it's almost like I put myself in danger. But if I smile too much, then I'm being flirty or something. It's an invitation. Right. Right. So then if you get too much attention, you, d- you asked for it with your inviting smile. Right. Exactly. So it's like, do I smile? Do I not smile? Do I say something? Do I not say something? There's this other part of me that was like, or that feels like, I don't care if someone thinks I'm mean or not because I'm not mean. Right. So if somebody wants to get to know me, or even somebody on the street, if they said something to me, I'm sure it would be a fine conversation. I guess I had to get to a point where I still feel like that, not get to a point, but like if somebody thinks I'm mean, that's their problem, right? not mine. Right, right. And it says something again about the perceiver, you know, unless, you know, I'm sure if you are mean, you can check yourself and be like, you know, maybe I am in a bad mood. 
right? I mean, I've certainly done that. It's not like I've, I, it, I certainly have the capacity to be mean. It doesn't mm-hmm. come out very often. Things don't trigger that very often, but I could be, you yeah. know, and hopefully I'd be able to see it if it was shown to me and apologize. Yeah. Um, but that feels like, like that's so different from um, what you're talking about in terms of like the ways in which women have to contend with their own social perception all the time. All the time. Right. And, and even it's a good example to think about, do you smile or not smile walking down the street? Because on the one hand, um, is it up to you to have to take care of everyone else's feelings by making them feel comfortable on the street, right? That there's something that could be like warm and inviting and comfort making about smiling. Like, is it your duty to smile to others? Is it a thing that, you know, you wouldn't want someone to feel uncomfortable walking past you, right? Socially speaking, in terms of how women are socialized, right? We have to, we're we're expected to make other people comfortable a lot of the time and smiling is a way to do that, right? To exude whatever warmth versus just being caught up in your own head which is the resting bee face that you were right at, mm-hmm. that you were mentioning before to me i probably get that face when i'm really in thought mm-hmm. right i'm not i'm not um taking in the world around me and trying to adapt my facial expression for what's expected in that moment if i'm caught up in thought like i'm present in my own mind mm-hmm. so i'm not really attending to other people in that state yeah. Versus what's polite. And, you know, as a society, certainly we don't want to be rude to each other or, you know, it's nice to greet somebody on the street so people don't people feel seen and not invisible. But it shouldn't come at your own expense. And this is I'm just saying all of this because it's that complicated. Right. It's something as simple as do you, you know, do you have a right to not smile? Right. It's so complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a household where you were just like friendly with people and it was okay to make small talk with people. It's not, it wasn't, there wasn't as much stranger danger. It was like everybody is someone, a potential new friend (laughs) type of thing. You know, like people are like mostly friendly and good and it's okay to talk to people. I remember being with someone, um, I was dating this person years and years and years ago and we were in a Wawa and I just, i somehow was chit chatting with someone in the Wawa and I, we got to the car and I got like reamed out about being too nice to a man in public. To a stranger? To a stranger. Because I was putting his girl, the other person's girlfriend in an awkward position by talking to me and I made the person I was with feel like less than because here I am talking to another man in front of him and I was clearly with him and not with this. I was like, we were talking about chips (laughs) or something stupid, you know, we were like a Wawa. But this is where it gets down to like, whose problem is that really? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Is it the problem is your behavior that you were friendly with someone that you didn't know in real life in that? Well, Mm -hmm. I mean, it is in real life, Mm -hmm. but you don't know them, know them. Or is it that the person you were with felt discomfort in the form of jealousy? And because they felt the discomfort on the inside, they had to locate a source for it on the outside, and that was you. Exactly. You did this to me. <laughs> exactly. You made me feel this bad exactly. feeling, mean, 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 mean I girl. I know. I know. Yes, exactly. And meanwhile, I'm just like, dum 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 I'm just friendly. Right. It's sort of like you're just being, like, relaxed. Yeah, exactly. And being yourself and yeah. not intending anything. Yeah. Yeah. But it makes me think of, like, yeah, the the expectation of my behavior, my behavior has to be a certain way to make other people feel comfortable. Right. Because there's, you know, implied in that story is you meant to do that. You meant to, you meant to humiliate me. You meant to hurt me. You meant to embarrass me. You meant to take over that man's attention and get it away from the woman he was with. And Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And there's a sense of it's, it's imagined (laughs) that you did that on purpose right so how dare you instead of understanding that we all just kind of sometimes are in the moment right or giving you the benefit of the doubt or doing something radical like saying wow that made me feel jealous yeah i mean imagine 
you did that thing and I don't know why, but I felt so jealous. Yeah. So, you know, can you know what feeling you're feeling? Yeah. Label it. Yeah. Share it. Not be ashamed of it and not put it on someone else as if because I had a feeling you meant to do that to me. Totally. I mean, that is a dynamic that drives me nuts. I feel like it's making it sort of reflects and is making us a more paranoid society. Yes. And it's almost like it puts the bumpers on just my self-expression if I'm told how I can behave and how I can't behave instead of being able to trust that I know how to behave, right? And then I'm behaving the way that I want to instead of a way that somebody is telling me to behave. And, you know, there are parameters to that, of course. You know, in a relationship, when you respect the other person, if they say, you know, hey, when you use that word, whatever, let's say the B word, when you use a word that actually hits me wrong and I really would rather you not use that word around me, that's a behavior that's a, it's a reasonable ask. It's a thing that can be adjusted. It'd be a sign of caring and sensitivity to the other person to follow that request, right? So there are, there are times when we want to listen to each other and respect the feedback we're getting about what makes someone else uncomfortable. But it's so different from, you know, I'm having a feeling that belongs to me and I'm making it as if you are the true source of it. Right. 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 And that way, you know, when, especially when you're not, that's almost too fundamental, right? It's like, if you're a friendly person who likes to chat with people in Wawa or in the checkout line, I do it too all the Mm -hmm. time. I love that. Mm -hmm. Especially, you know, people respond to it. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to make a quick friend to compliment a woman's nails. Oh, all the time. Cashiers often have fantastic nails and I love to tell them that and it just looks like it makes them happy. Yeah. So that's not a thing I'm doing to anyone. Yeah. It's just a way that I am. Yeah. That doesn't seem, if someone wanted me to change that, I don't know if I would want to be around them anymore because I don't want to change that. I like that. So then you have like, okay, you have like that part of the behavioral nuance, but then you have like from that clip. Yeah. Of being like, okay, I don't like this particular behavior. This doesn't feel well. Like this doesn't sit well. It doesn't feel good. And actually you asking me not to talk at Wawa is unreasonable. Yeah. You're asking a lot of me. You're asking me to be someone that you're not willing to even particularly be. Nice. Nice. I love how you kind of brought it back to that part of the clip because that's exactly what she's saying. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's sort of like this is beyond what's reasonable. Yes. That's, and that's what I heard her saying is like what you give is not nearly as much as you ask. And when we think about this and we've talked about this so many times and I see it all the time in my work, even for those in the couples and cisgendered relationships, even when men think that they're doing 50% of the housework in the house and they think that they're pulling their weight and they think that they're doing all this stuff to meet people and meet the family, it's still what they require is so much more most of the time, the majority of the time than what their, what their women partners are asking for. And a lot of times what their women partners are asking for are more relational things, not as much actual physical labor work, which would be nice, but usually they're asking for being seen, being heard, being understood, or even seeing that the labor divide is, is just taxing. Can you first just start by seeing it? And I, I wonder why is that such a big ask? And that's what I like about that clip. Right. Is it such a big ask of men because there are so few women that say it or demand it? Or is it something about the way men were raised by, you know, other men in their lives that didn't model that for them? Or what is it? Because I often, you know, when I hear these kinds of stories from people in my life, it really often blows my mind how the the men that are, um, you know, are essentially inadvertently or, you know, they're not intending to hurt the women in their life, but they are by making them feel unseen or unheard or not listened to. 
And one thing I feel like I find really confusing is male resistance. Like male resistance to to seeing what if 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 someone that you love is saying, "Hey, I feel invisible." You know, I've heard a couple of stories this week about women who went to see Barbie with their husbands, cried, sobbed, they said, at certain parts of that movie, and the husbands had no response at all to them sobbing. Oh. None. They kind of laughed at the funny parts and were just like, well, there she goes again, being emotional in a movie, without putting two and two together that these tears are a communication. And there wasn't curiosity. There wasn't openness. There wasn't anything. It just was a moment that came and went. It was a reaction to a scene in a movie instead of you're describing the impossibility of being a woman who is a mother, especially in America, and it is so real for her that it's making her cry. Depression Barbie is making her cry because she relates, and you're not noticing that. It really does blow my mind. Like, like really, I, I, I'm almost completely baffled like I would love to have a man call in and explain what happens in their minds in that moment that someone is having that reaction and you don't see it and then what is her complaint her complaint is I feel invisible and what just happened you made her invisible right there right then in that moment like what is that yeah that's a great question but I think I think a lot of that from what I understand or what I've seen or what I've talked to about the men, how it's, how it has been described as me to me, how it's been described to me is that if you follow the thread, it's painful. I make somebody feel invisible when I feel insulted, when I feel scared, when I feel like you're tapping on something deeper when you're tapping on something that uh, might elicit change, you're tapping on something that I don't want to deal with, that I don't want to look at, because if I look at it, then something bad might happen or change might happen or something bigger might happen. So I'm just going to make you invisible and ignore this feeling and ignore the feelings that you have because I can't deal with it right now because I'm going to work and I'm doing this and you expect me to do this. And then I come home and I don't have a minute to relax. And then you're asking me to do this and this and this and this. When do I have time to process this stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm listening to that and I'm just, it just is, it's kind of unfair and frustrating to, to think of that. And I think you're exactly right. And you're also making me think of, um, sort of, you know, a theory that I have, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who has this idea, and I'm sure I'm not the originator of it, but it is a thing that I think about within myself a lot, you know, in the work that I do and in my daily life, which is that in order to have empathy for someone around a particular feeling or experience, it you sort of have to have been through it yourself. And I'm not saying for me to feel sad when someone else has an illness I've never had, I can't have empathy for them. But if I have allowed myself to experience hurt and recover from it, if you come to me and you have hurt, I don't have to run Mm -hmm. because I can just stay put and resonate with it because I'm strong in that area now. Mm -hmm. I've been through it too. I'm not scared of it. And so, so I guess part of maybe what you're saying and what I'm saying is that when, when men are socialized to not have feelings or to have maybe two or three feelings, and women are coming at them with an emo- something that feels emotionally maybe complicated, right? I don't, boys don't cry. I don't let myself cry. So you see your wife crying and the, it, it doesn't land anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like you turned that button off. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to resonate with her because you haven't allowed yourself to feel those feelings right. on a deep level. Right. So that you could know it and feel it and be open to it and be in relation to it when it presents itself. So it's easier just to tune out. I mean, this drives me nuts. I mean, this is why I just wish everyone would go to therapy. Like, like but really, like, a good therapy. <laughs> you know, I'm not a big fan of therapy apps. Maybe there are some out there, but I don't feel like people should be talking to bots you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But if it works for you, it works for you. But if, if you could go to 
a therapist or a clergy person or someone who helps you work through all of the things that you've inevitably been through in life and put words to them, it opens up your relational capacity, like emotional availability. If you can have your feelings, know what you're feeling, work through your feelings, not be allergic to any particular feeling because you know you have it too and you know in reality it's not scary and it won't do you in. When you are in the presence of that feeling in another person, you can welcome it. You can relate to it. You can engage with it. You know, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but there's a whole thing too recently that I keep hearing lately about this epidemic of male loneliness. And to me, I think, yeah, of course, because the way to not feel lonely is to be emotionally available to connect with other people. Okay. Yes. So what, listening to what you just said and what you said before, and I just, well, I just couldn't help but think about there needs to be a willingness to be empathetic. It's not even just having to learn it and go, I mean, going to therapy and um, getting the help you need and processing your feelings those are all good things. And no matter where you're on the journey, those it's where you are is good because you're in the process. But how many people do you know that one person feels so tuned out, but they don't feel like their partner even wants to be empathetic? I know that I was told flat out, I don't care. Those are your feelings to deal with. There was no desire right. to be empathetic. Right. And that was the moment where I was like, bye-bye. And so to me, I'm like, so there's a guy who's going to end up with a love doll and not a person. Exactly. In the end. That's, exactly. That's the origin of male loneliness. Exactly. Right. It's exactly that. It, it's if, 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 you know, if we live in a world that is kind of so narcissistic that other people need to be feeling the way we want them to feel in relation to us. I want a girlfriend that smiles all the time. I want someone who this, I want someone who that. And it's, you know, if you were trying to make other people into the version of them that, that, that we wish they were, then we're not relating to another person. We're relating to our own projected fantasy. And you mm-hmm. can't, if you want to relate to your own projected fantasy, go get one of these like lifelike love dolls mm-hmm. and you can sit them on the couch in a position that you like them in and you can imagine what they're thinking and feeling and it can be exactly resonant with what you want. Mm-hmm. But then don't complain about being lonely because you're going to be lonely if you can't relate and you can't relate if you can't feel. And do you really want somebody in your life that you want to dictate their behavior in such a way that you've put them in a position where they're walking on eggshells around you, that they're so careful of what they say and what they can't say that they feel like they can't really even be themselves. Right now there's a, the flip side of that is we should all be respectful in how we talk to each other. We shouldn't just be like going out. Like sometimes we need to use discretion with what we say because we don't want to be hurtful, but for the most part, we don't want to be in situations at least I don't want to be in a situation where I can't just be myself and like let my wiggles out or even be like, I disagree with that. What? What did you just say? That Wait, was crazy. That was Hold so, on. that was so mean. You yeah. disagreed with me. You're so mean, Lois. Or sorry that my protection comes at your inconvenience, you know, or whatever it looks like. Right, it's like, you- what? Okay, hold on. But if I didn't feel that freedom of just being able to speak my mind, we wouldn't have been able to shake it out that this was not going to be a good friendship. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. It's so easy for me to want to jump back into that. (laughs) What he said to you Mm -hmm. about, you know, having, what is it like women who have a dog are, you know, more are worse are worse. It's I mean, that's so, that's so because he wasn't going to get as much attention. Right. That's what I was going to say. It's sort of like, (laughs) right. That's only from the perspective of I'm not, I may not get what I want from you when I want to get it. Yeah. And so you're saying I have a dog to protect me. Like it makes me feel safer to have a dog. Uh huh. And he's saying, but what about if, what about if you had a man who wants more attention and you give it to the dog instead? (laughs) (laughs) And, and women, a categorical women, 
women with a capital W, uh, like all women. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I hate it when people speak in absolutes. Oh, me too. It's so I annoying. hate it. It's, it's so annoying. It, I hate it. <laughs> women with dogs are worse than women with newborns. Bad woman with a newborn. Like what? I guess what in his, like if he, if he had kids, I guess if his partner had a newborn, she must have really ignored him in a way that was really hard to tolerate. <laughs> Because <laughs> she was giving all that attention to her own body and her new baby, yeah. and it really cost him. Yeah, I think right in the beginning there, I was not going to be able to give him the attention that he wanted. And good. I'm glad that that got uh, sifted out. Right. And that might be true. You probably weren't. If that's if it's at a level like that, that you want to compete with a newborn, then you're right. You probably aren't going to get that level of attention from another adult. Yeah, when you put it that way. Right. I mean... <laughs> Just hey, saying. baby. I just, you know. Who's the baby now? Right. I th- I am with you, though, about hating these absolutes. I can't tell you how many men in my life have told me how women are. Well, no, women aren't. And I'm a woman. And they will tell me that I don't know how women are because they have been observing women for a lot, long time. And they have been in a, in relation to women in a certain way. Or I had someone say, you know, in the not so distant past that. You know, this person was saying that he needed to consult a friend of his who was an expert on women. He was a woman expert. And I was like, what makes him a woman expert? And this person says that what made him a woman expert was that essentially he knew how to pick up women in bars. Oh, yes. Did I tell you this? Yeah, yeah, you did. He knew how to pick up women in bars. And I was like, so he now I was like, so maybe what you mean is he's an expert at manipulating women to get what he wants from them. Mm hmm. But this whole thing, women with a capital W, you know, I mean, I know that we talk about men with a capital M. I get it. Like, well, we are generalizing and we are speaking to the middle of the normal. But we usually say most situations. A lot of times we've seen from my experience. (laughs) Exactly. Or we know there are exceptions to this. We know it's not everyone. Obviously, there, you know, I know many men who don't do a lot of the things that we talk about on this show. And I know many men who do. Yes. And that is true. But there are more men who do, at least in terms of the experience I have of listening to women, even though, (laughs) and I don't even claim to be an expert on women. Mm -hmm. I I can't even speak about all women. And that, and that's the thing that there's, uh, we're all raised differently. We're all in this, like we're all at least from where I am right now as an American living in the Northwest of the United States. I'm surrounded by people who generally think and feel and have similar experiences. I think you're in the Northwest of Philly and the Northeast of the United oh, States. <laughs> doi. <laughs> doi, doi. We're just yes, like, you're right, yeah. Northwest, <laughs> Northwest Philly just feels that important. <laughs> yeah. Northeast. You know, so like I'm, I'm generally around people who are, have similar experiences and mindsets and and, mindsets. mm -hmm. Right. But I understand that even going, you know, two hours out of Philadelphia, people might have a completely different experience than I do. Right. But I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. There's a lot, a lot of very, very similar stories that for me, as soon as I get into someone's home, it almost doesn't matter where they are or even their beliefs or how they were raised. It's like there's a common experience where women, particularly in domestics, feel unseen, overworked, and if they speak up or say something that they're viewed as mean. And then more recently, as I've, as I've gotten older, I feel like I've given myself more freedom to use my words to be seen, to make myself like, okay, you can't talk to me like that. And that's something I, I never really did that. I never really told people, no, you can't talk to me like that until this last, like, I don't know, the last five or six years, I'm like, hold up. You can't talk to me like that. Yeah. You're great at that. 
Really? You are. You're really great at that. And it's like great modeling, even for me, because there's something ironic. You know, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm a little older than Lois. But in some ways, you're more advanced. And, you know, I don't know if it's a generational thing or because I was a woman who was raised in the South around lots and lots and lots of men. There are just tons of men in my family. Um, I don't know if it was that, like in the realm of appeasement that we've talked about that it's sort of like really socialized to like read the room and give what's give what's not even stated to be needed. You got to mm-hmm. just be on the ready. And so you're a gener you're you're not from where I'm from and you're a generation younger than I am. And um and so for me watching you do that is always encouraging to be like, "Whoa, hold up. You can't talk to me that way." Because where I'm from, that would be considered mean. It would be right. rude to have a limit or a boundary or to say no. Well, I, I mean, it could be a generational thing, honestly. And just to be a little raw here, uh, I think it's because I was in an abusive relationship. And I let someone talk to me for years a certain way. And to, and I would try I'd say, well, don't talk to me. I'm not like that. No, I'm not like that. Uh, yeah. And kind of like cower in the corner, like, Oh, what are he saying is true. You know, to a certain point where I had to gain and hold my own confidence. Yeah. And then when I'd hold my own confidence and hold it with dignity and say, no, you can't talk to me like that. A lot of times that strength would be overpowered with dominance yes and it kind of created this cyclical pattern where now all of a sudden when i do stand up for myself i all i made things worse for myself because then me standing up for myself turned me into mean or whatever when i'm just like no 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 and now that i have evolved out of that type of uh, behavioral pattern that i was in and even recognizing and seeing people who might make me feel that way when, when anyone doesn't matter who you are, if I have the same feeling like that person treated me, I just go, no, you can't treat me like that. No. And I I think a lot of that for me is it's experiential. Yeah. But I, I, I would just say that a lot of women have those experiences and don't come out like you have with this sense of having a stronger voice or like, I know what it's feel like it feels like to be walked on or talked down to or whatever. And so I'm not going to tolerate that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I love that you have gotten there and that we have this show where you can share that and other women can hear you talk about a way of coming out of these kinds of relationships, which I think happen anywhere, even if it's not in your home, Mm -hmm. in the office, there are places all over the place where women are talked down to or demeaned or, you know, insulted. And to be able to say to whether it's to a man or another woman or whomever, you can't talk to me that way. It should be in our common vocabulary. And so I appreciate you bringing it mm-hmm. like right here, right now, people are listening and hopefully they can adopt that because mm-hmm. it feels good. I think. Thanks. It, I mean, it didn't come without it. Feel, like, and even hearing you say that, thank you. That means a lot to me. And it makes it easier to be vulnerable with that because sometimes it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to say that I, that I was like in this relationship for as long as I was because oh, I'm just gosh. like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing. No, Why did I let someone treat me like that? Because, well, I, I mean, that would be, it's sort of like if we had a therapy session, we actually could come up with lots of very good reasons why Mm -hmm. like there's usually reasons why maybe a little bit would have to do with your own history but also a lot would have to do with the way the relationship dynamics got set up yeah right and there are ways that women kind of get like roped into these things and then it's like if you're in a relationship where someone is kicking you into a ditch and you had been living on solid ground with them for a while you're trying to climb up out of the ditch to get back to solid ground right because you had been there before and then it just becomes this kind of cycle of of kind of selective behavioral reinforcement that keeps you in that pattern right so it's not i mean i understand that you could feel embarrassed by it but i don't think it's you and there were times that i felt like i had to as a protection mechanism when somebody was saying these things or treating me a certain way i had to become the wolverine in a way to either claw myself out of the ditch or just to feel strong, like stay away. I had to like bare my teeth or like, 
stand up tall with my claws, right? To be like, no, you can't talk to me like this. And there were times that I, I, I'm not, I'm not totally innocent in this situation either. There were times that I swiped back and, and created my own, you know, wounds as well, you know, to myself and to the person, you know, so it was all a learning process to figure out how can, how can in the here and now I speak up for myself in a way where I cause to anyone new that comes into my life, but also with my relationships now and like heaven forbid I ever see that person ever again. But like if I did, like how can I respond in the coolest, kindest, most level-headed way that I can minimize any damage and only be strong in who I am? Yeah. I just need to also say though, that it sounds like in a lot of these stories, again, he started it. <laughs> yeah. Like, he started I mean, it. I'm, like, pretty chill. <laughs> You're a very chill person. And so I, I guess I just want to say that I don't think fighting back is mean. Yeah. I think if someone comes up and punches you in the face and you don't put your hands up and you don't, like, maybe you do. Maybe first you put your hands up so they can't hurt. You say, don't hit me. I don't want you to hit me. And they keep trying. Eventually, you might have to punch them back to get them off of you. That's very different, right? It's like if you're in a relationship where you have to turn into Wolverine just to be present and to register that you have a voice too, then that's a pretty toxic relationship. Right. And ultimately, you got yourself out of it. Yeah. Which yeah. is not easy. Lots of people especially women, but not only women, lots of people find it really hard, if not impossible to get out of those scenarios. And I see why. Me too. too. It was really, really hard for me to get out of the relationship, not because I felt stuck by the actual relationship. It was more like I was afraid to let it go because I was afraid of what life would be living on my own. Oh, yeah. And I think that that was, I think... Or just that all the love and all the love and all the work that I put into that relationship to try to make it work, all the tiptoeing on eggshells and the dance that I created within that and all the um, muscle memory, all the things that I did and poured in to build it to try to heal it just felt like it was getting flushed down the toilet on top of the uncertainty of knowing what was on the other side and having to be a single parent, yeah. you know, and this person was like a step per like he, it wasn't the girl's dad, but like it was just to know that I had to do it alone. That to me was like, well, maybe I'll like put up with this like kind of terrible behavior because it, that might be easier yeah. But it wasn't true. Right. It's Honestly, it, it was, I got so much energy. Right. Cause it feels like the choice is about the lesser of two evils, but that's, that sort of underestimates your own capacity. Exactly. And it's not two evils because being alone is an evil, but it feels like <laughs> it, it feels would, like, yeah, in that yeah. moment it feels yeah. like, you know, it's like some, some people stay in relationships as a way of hedging their bets against loneliness. Yeah. We don't want to be lonely. We don't like that. But at the same time, if you're in a relationship where you're being harmed or undermined or when anytime you ask for what you need, you're told you're being mean, that's lonely already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're already yeah. on your own. Yeah. You're already not being related to. You're already not being heard. You're just psychically lonely. Yeah. And that's a terrible feeling. It's different from, say, solitude, which is a way of being with yourself that's replenishing and feels good. Right. Right. But to be kind of in a in a relational space where you're really kind of being isolated, it's oh, terrible. I felt, I felt so much more lonely in the relationship than yeah. outside of it, because then I just surrounded myself with people like you, Stephanie, and like good friends and people who listen, who care, who are supportive and kind and then built new relationships and built new friendships. And then it's like, OK, it might not be. The, have the same type of intimacy or like built in structure as mm -hmm. a partnership and mm -hmm. that a romantic partnership has, but I'd rather take that time to heal and know how to say in the future, you can't talk to me like that or not be afraid of being prickly to someone just because 
maybe I'm not their flavor. Yeah. And I think that that's part of it too. It's like, I, I think being perceived as mean, like, I don't know. I am not every, like not everybody is going to like that. I'm a little prickly, but I, I think that's what it is. People are afraid of being prickly or not smiling. It's going to like, but really it's, it's a beautiful, delicious flavor. If you appreciate when somebody stands up for themselves. Yeah. And there's also something, you know, I don't know if you've ever read or Esther Perel or watched any of her. Yeah. Right. So she talks about how, you know, it's, it's sort of like her shtick is sort of how to keep the romance alive. Like she, her first book was called mating in captivity. Yeah, I read that one. Yeah. So, so like, how do we maintain a erotic desire or attraction for each other in long-term relationships? Mm -hmm. And she talks about, um, the necessity of objectifying your partner, right? Mm-hmm. And and by that, she doesn't mean treating them as a narcissistic extension of yourself and making them not have their own subjectivity. What she actually means is appreciating their subjectivity from across the room. Ah, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. so that I can see, I can see, you know, Lois over there looking really good. Like if we go back to your example of talking to someone else in Wawa, mm-hmm. right? The, the guy you were with who got jealous and then blamed you, what could have happened instead would have been for him to be like, wow, I think that guy thinks my date looks good. Mm-hmm. Now I can see her through his eyes and wow, she does look good. I hadn't mm-hmm. even noticed how good she looks, mm-hmm. right? That there'd be something about allowing you to be your own person and have your own experience and be seen and interacted with by others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kind of keeps it's like a, a way to kind of keep desire going mm-hmm. so we want two people in a relationship we don't want one person in their fantasy projected extension of themselves we want me and you right and, right that it, it kind of reminds me I, and i can't i don't remember if we've talked about it on the show before or late night on the porch but how there sometimes i i've heard some men say, I'm very attracted to strong women. Oh, yeah, I hear that. And I like strong women, and I like women who have a lot of dignity and strength and, you know, who are opinionated and, you know, who are smart. I hear that a lot about I like smart women, smart. I like strong women. Yeah. Yep. But as soon as they give a thought that is not what they wanted to hear, then they're mean. <laughs> they're mean. <laughs> No, I sometimes think that when I hear, you know, someone say, oh, I really like smart women. I think, well, for now you do. (laughs) You like smart women until that woman is actually smarter than you. (laughs) When there's a moment when she doesn't need you to educate her about the basics of life. She already knows that you breathe air in and you breathe air out. And she can actually tell you all about how the pulmonary system works in the body. She, then you don't like her so much anymore because now her knowledge makes her mean. Yeah. Because why? Because it makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Instead of being like, wow, I see her from across the room or across the porch or whatever it is. Yes. And she is interesting. She is smart. She has her head on her shoulders. And what I like about this person is that there's room for growth for me. Right. And for them. Right. In other words, or evolution or whatever. It, right. In other words, just, you know, be a little tougher. <laughs> I mean, the guy in this clip was not being very tough. And that's what she's trying to say. He was insulted. He's in. She's saying she's speaking a truth to him about himself. And so now she's mean because he's insulted mm-hmm. rather than being able to hear what she's saying and wondering what about it could be true. Right. He could say, wow, OK, it hurts to hear this, but give me a minute. I'm going to have to take this in. Okay, you know, how about this? How about I'm going to listen to what you have to say, then I'm going to think about it for a couple of days, and then I'm going to call you and tell mm-hmm. you what I think. Like that there would be yeah. some way of receiving the information doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but at least evaluate it, at least wonder. Well, that's where, we're, where we were kind of talking about, like, you have to want to be empathetic. Like, that's the thing. It's like, if you're already trying to be empathetic, that's one thing. But like, just wanting saying yes i'm going to choose to be empathetic or within that clip being like you're in you're insulting me he said you're in that was insulting 
can you ask and follow the thread? Why was it insulting to you instead of being just mean back? Right. Or in situations where, okay, that, that made me angry. When you said that, that made me angry. Mm-hmm. Instead of telling the person how angry their actions made you to examine why do I feel angry right now? Absolutely. Before you express your anger to them. Like imagine saying that makes me angry instead of you are mean. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's, yeah, it's sort of like people, you don't have to go around characterizing everyone based on how they've made you feel within yourself. You yeah, know what I mean? Totally. It's like, I don't need to label you as you are a this and you are a that and you do this and this is your pattern and blah, blah, blah. It can also just be like, okay, so I'm having a feeling now and I can yeah. just sit with my feeling rather than have to throw a label on you because you made me feel it. Exactly. Oh, and that's like, it's a, such a diversion and like a re- deflection of like being able to process stuff. Like even when I get angry, like if I get angry at my kids or if I get angry at like traffic or like, I don't usually get angry very often, but when I do like, well, let me, let me rephrase that. I do believe in good old healthy, righteous anger and like being able to like scream about it. Like feeling anger is an emotion that's, it's good to feel, but there are sometimes I'm like, I'm just being a dumb dumb right now getting angry about this like what what is going on no i'm just being impatient why am i being impatient because i want something that i can't have or da 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 and and then as soon as i think about it i can reflect on it and diffuse my own emotions so i don't take it out on my kids or take it out on the car exactly <laughs> right it's like there are there are times when your anger is warranted because something outside of you did some injustice did happen to you mm-hmm. Which is a very different scenario from like, I'm feeling anger bubble up inside of me that actually doesn't have a true cause. Yeah. If someone's saying they're not going to give you what they, what you want, they're not doing something to you. They are not being mean to you. They are speaking from their own perspective about what they do (laughs) and don't want. That's right. If that makes you angry, then there's something in you that you need to check. Yeah. Or insulted, because we're talking about some you Her, thinking someone's insulted. being mean. Right. Now, there are all, there are plenty of people who are mean. So I'm not, you know, we're not saying that but there's... That's not what we're talking... We're, we're just talking, talking about, about like, you know, the, sort of like the misuse of the idea of meanness. Mm-hmm. Like, and it keeps women, particularly women in this context, in... Uh, position of submission and it keeps men in a position of not having to know or express real feeling deal with it right it's like you know you're being mean means you need to shut up and not make me feel feelings that make me uncomfortable that's right instead of okay let me listen and actually this is an opportunity for me to pause and feel a feeling that makes me uncomfortable and wonder why it makes me uncomfortable and actually start to do a little bit of work on my own inner life so that then I'll be able to relate better and oh my goodness, the world that is available mm-hmm. when you do that work. Yeah. What? It exactly. is so, so good. Yeah. You know, maybe we can do another show on this idea of loneliness um, because it, it's something I think about and I know we're about out of time, but I was just thinking about this, you know, and because it feels like this is a thing that I'm hearing about a lot, like male loneliness, men feeling misunderstood. And, you know, my son who reads a lot of philosophy at the beginning of his first year of college had been reading Hannah Arendt. And he was telling me how Hannah Arendt differentiates loneliness, solitude, and isolation. So isolation is when you're alone, alone, like really Mm -hmm. alone. Like there's Mm -hmm. nobody else around you. Solitude is when you're alone, but within the company of yourself. Yeah. So it doesn't really feel so lonely because you've got yourself there. But loneliness is when it's as if you're in isolation, but there are others present. Mm. Right. And so when we're talking about loneliness, it's like there are others present that could be related to. Yeah. So that means there's something you could do that if you can shift something in yourself and be able to relate differently, you can... You can manage your loneliness. You can shift that story, right? Unless it's an abusive relationship or something where really nobody's listening to you. And I'm speaking, and and in this regard, I'm speaking 
you know, to what we're saying, it, we're largely in relation to the male audience. Mm -hmm. That if this is an epidemic of male loneliness, then men can do something differently. Women are right there. They're saying, I feel invisible. I feel lonely. I feel unseen. They're, they're eager to it's be connected with. right there. Yes. It's right there. Right. Just don't call them mean. <laughs> and just listen. <laughs> just listen. Just listen. Be curious. Right. Exactly. Step outside of your comfort zone. Precisely. Precisely. Mm. Well, Lois, here we are at the end of our episode. Mm, that went fast. That went fast. I really, I, as always, super fun to talk to you. Yeah, you too. We have some good conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. You can catch uh, previous episodes of The Everyday Feminist on our website, theeverydayfeminist.com. You can follow us on Instagram, uh, the Everyday Feminist Radio. I think it's just Everyday oh. Feminist Radio. I don't Oopsie. think. But Everyday. you can link all of that's linked on our website. Yeah, yeah. But your feedback is great. Sharing us is great, and we've been noticing our listenership has been going up. That's great. Yay. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, keep sharing, keep mm -hmm. sharing, and we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Bye bye. Bye.